the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, we found the telephone have and electricity line here described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. There are names that almost everyone can recognize. One such name is that of famed writer Jack Kerouac. But the very first time his name appeared in the press, it wasn't for his life changing words. It was as a key witness in a murder perpetrated on August 14, 1944, by his best friend. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Lucian Carr, born March 1, 1925, spent most of his life in St. Louis living in a prominent family. He had all the best and never really wanted for anything. But his life was ultimately taken on a new course of direction when he met a man named David Kemmerer when he was just 12 years old. This man, who was 14 years older than Lucian, served as his Boy Scout troop leader, but pretty quickly made his interest in the boy known. He was infatuated with the teen and would go to great lengths to make sure he stayed in Lucian's life. Whenever the boy would enroll in a new school, David would show up. His family, as well as Lucian, insisted that David was stalking the boy and making sexual and predatory advances. And when Lucian moved to Chicago and enrolled in the University of Chicago, David, of course, followed suit. Lucian struggled while in Chicago. The normally charismatic boy found himself in a psychiatric ward after putting his head in a gas oven in the name of art. Once he was released, he moved to New York City with his mother and enrolled in Columbia University. 
It was there that Lucian would thrive and meet the young men who would change his life forever. He was an exceptional student. Described as stunningly brilliant, he joined clubs, societies, and made a strong group of friends. He befriended a young man named Allen Ginsberg and met a girl named Edie Parker, who introduced him to her boyfriend, 22-year-old Jack Kerouac. And Lucian introduced his young college friends to his older, more sophisticated friend, William Burroughs, childhood friend of David Kammerer, who had now moved to New York to be closer to Lucian. This group of men, Alan, Jack, William, and Lucian, would later become the core group and creators of the New York beach scene. They explored the grimy underbelly of the city, became writers and poets, made their own provocative slang, and became fixtures in the dark pockets of Chelsea and Greenwich Village, all while remaining top students. They recycled the ideals of the Paris Bohemians and Emersonian transcendentalism and created a movement that many only get to read about. Lucian was at the core, known as the leader of the beat scene, as well as a prankster who loved nothing but to live freely and have some fun. All the while, right on the fringe of the group, was David Kammerer. His presence and lovelorn devotion made the other beats uncomfortable, and on more than one occasion, caught David doing something inappropriate, bordering on sick. Like the time William caught him trying to hang Jack's cat. He was jealous. He wanted Lucian all to himself and didn't like sharing him with the world, much less the rest of the beats. David was crumbling. He was barely scraping by and had to work as a janitor in his building just to pay rent. So when he got wind that Jack and Lucian were about to go off on an adventure on a merchant marine vessel, he grew frantic. Even crawling through Lucian's window and watching him sleep for almost two hours before being caught by a guard. He was a man on the edge. On August 13th, 1944, Lucian and Jack tried and failed to get on the ship that would take them to France. Their plan was to walk across France as Frenchmen, Jack and a deaf-mute friend, Lucian, and make their way to Paris in time for the liberation. They were kicked off of the ship at the last minute and instead headed to their regular bar for a few drinks. As Jack went home, he ran into David, who asked where Lucian was. He pointed towards the bar and headed home. The two men caught up and went for a walk that ended in Riverside Park on the Upper East Side. Now, the rest of this story is up for debate because, as you will soon see, we only have one person's side of the story. When they arrived at the park, David began yet another one of his unwanted sexual advances. This time, when Lucian rejected him, David began to assault him. Scared and panicked, Lucian grabbed the old Boy Scout knife he always carried and stabbed David. He then tied up his hands and feet, wrapped his belt around his arms, weighed David's body down, and threw him into the Hudson River. Lucian, who had just killed the man who had been harassing him for most of his life, went to William Burroughs' apartment, gave him David's bloody pack of cigarettes, and spilled his guts. William then flushed the cigarettes and told Lucian to go get a lawyer and turn himself in. Instead, Lucian found Jack, and with the help of another boy, disposed of the knife and some of David's belongings. Went to a movie, then to the Museum of Modern Art, Lucian's mother's home, and then to the New York District Attorney where he confessed to his crimes. Investigators, not sure if this was a prank, located the body and took Lucian Carr, William Burroughs, and Jack Kerouac into custody. 
The very first time Jack's name was in print was as the 23-year-old seaman who had been arrested as a material witness. William's father bailed him out, and after Jack's father refused to pay his bail, Edie Parker's parents did so on the stipulation that he marry the girl first. With the detectives as witnesses, Edie and Jack were married at the municipal building. Their marriage was annulled four years later. Lucian Carr was charged with second-degree murder and almost immediately became a media sensation. The crime had everything. A well-liked boy from a prominent family and New York's premier university caught up with a scandalous older stalker in a homosexual relationship. The story of a homosexual predator became front-page news in a time where sexuality was still widely obscured. They called this killing the gay panic defense and referred to it as an honor slaying, insinuating that David Kammerer got exactly what he deserved. Lucian Carr pleaded guilty to first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 1 to 20 years in prison. Two years later, he was a free man. Once released, Lucian went to work for the United Press and remained there until the end of his working life. He stayed friends with the Beats and even served as best man when Jack married his second wife in 1950. He is even credited with having provided Jack with a roll of teleprinter from his office on which he wrote the draft of the infamous On the Road. Once released, Lucian lost his need to be in the spotlight and, for the most part, lived the rest of his life in complete privacy. He had three children with his first wife, one of which went on to write the bestseller, The Alienist. He mentored other writers and lived a life of quiet serenity. On January 28, 2005, Lucian Carr died after a long battle with bone cancer. In the years following the murder, there have been many books and stories written about the incident, many of which by Lucian's own friends. Jack Kerouac's The Town and the City is a fictional retelling of the events, and later he and William Burroughs collaborated on the 1945 novel And the Hippos Were Boiled in Their Tanks, a retelling of Lucian and David's lives. It was published in 2008 and in 2013 served as the inspiration for the movie Kill Your Darlings. But not everyone believed the story Lucian gave to the press and authorities. A woman named Patricia Healy, once a friend of the Beats, published a letter in 1976 that explains David and Lucian's relationship much differently. She said that Lucian relished in the attention David gave him, and even credited David with writing the papers that Lucian got so much praise for in school, that he was the guiding light of the Beats, not a fringe member as many have depicted, and never got the credit from the members that he deserved that he disliked Lucian and was far from being a homosexual or a pedophile. So, whose story was true? Was Lucian the victim of a predatory man who kept close tabs on the young boy, or was he a deeply troubled man who finally cracked under the pressure of his facade? Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on August 15th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. 
You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.